And now, a Sorry Wrong Door production of a podcast for your enjoyment. Strange, interesting, and slightly gamey. An absurd glimpse into the post-eclectic age. Sugar's only sweetness. Salt is ocean tears. And you were my only weakness. For years and years and years. Are we going? SISG is a broad spectrum show where we cover topics from the worlds of music, live entertainment, film, nostalgia, pop culture, and anything else that comes into our heads, all with an emphasis on the strange and the unusual. It's basically the things that interest us, and we hope will interest you too. Now the devil, she must be a dentist, with deep jawbreaker eyes, red rope hair, gumdrop lips, Welcome everybody to podcast number five. This is Greg. This is James. And this is Frank. We got a great show. Frank, tell us what you got on your plate today. Well, it's February, which is the month of Valentine's Day, so love is in the air. And so apparently are UFOs. So we're going to have a bunch of eyewitness accounts of UFO sightings. James, what have you got for us? Well, February is also President's Day and Lincoln's birthday. So, of course, we're going to talk about Robot Lincoln and the wonderful words he had for us. All of that, plus a special treat, since it's February, we've got a little roundtable on all of our childhood crushes. Uh, some of them may be still alive, and some of them may be ghosts. Extra points for that. So let's get started. <laughs> all right, let's go. Headline edition, July 8th, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. Army officers say the missile found sometime last week has been inspected at Roswell, New Mexico, and sent to Wright Field, Ohio, for further inspection. On February 18, 1930, the heavenly body formerly known as Planet Pluto was discovered at the Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff, Arizona. And that got us thinking about space, which of course got us thinking about UFOs. So we put together a mashup of several audio documentaries with some pretty great first-hand accounts of UFO sightings. After that, we'll tell our own stories of encounters with the visitors from the sky, including the many times Uncle Frank almost saw a UFO and the one time he actually did. There was an enormous football-shaped glowing object hovering a very short distance above the ground. It got bigger and bigger and bigger, and the next thing we knew it was, well, it was right over us, you know. And the light was so bright, you know, then it stopped at treetop level. I thought it was doomsday. I really did. I, I didn't know what to expect after seeing two more in the field across from my house. I, uh, I didn't know if it was an invasion or what. A hatch opened up from the underside of the craft. A tube came down. And a platform slid down. So this being comes down and walks over to the front of the patrol car. They were bald, no hair, no eyebrows, no eyelashes. For many years, this planet has been under constant surveillance and observation. 
Unknown forces have been responsible for producing strange and unusual phenomena. Many objects have been sighted with the naked eye, caught by the high-speed shutters of military cameras, and tracked by radar. These unusual aerial objects, known as unidentified flying objects, as well as flying saucers... ...encounters have been reported by citizens in all walks of life, including the President of the United States, Jimmy Carter. There were about 20 of us standing outside of a little uh, restaurant, I believe, a high school uh, lunchroom, and a, a kind of a green light appeared in the western sky. This was right after sundown. And uh, it got, got brighter and brighter. And then eventually it disappeared. It was not, didn't have any uh, solid substance to it. It was just a, a very peculiar looking light. None of us could uh, understand what it was. I've never made fun of people who've seen other things of that kind. Something has been up there for a long time. Something that is recorded in the sign language of the ancients. Some strange objects called flying shields by the early Romans, luminous discs by the Greeks. The ancient Chinese records reveal that UFOs were sighted and recorded by men whose sole task it was to maintain accurate events of strange and unusual happenings in their particular generation. The first official United States investigation of UFOs began in 1943, when World War II pilots began relating tales of fiery objects in the night sky moving at tremendous speeds, even pacing their own aircraft for miles. Military flyers in the European theater termed them Foo Fighters, Foo being the French word for fire. Now retired Air Force Major Paul Dewitch describes an encounter his crew had over Japan. The particular one that my crew saw was uh, an orange-red color, and it paced our aircraft for miles and miles uh, off the left horizontal stabilizer we don't know how far off it's very difficult to determine this was a night raid everything was blackness all around us except the fires burning down below and we were on a bomb run into uh, Sasebo Japan and so the top gunner who had control of all the guns in the back of this B-29 bomber uh, fired a burst the tracers were seen to go directly toward it but nothing happened and uh, then after a short period of time, this thing detached itself from the position it held and made a, a kind of a diving, sweeping uh, movement, which took it under our aircraft and off to the right and uh, forward so that we up front could see it. And it's at that time that I saw it. And, uh, and it was just a, a big blob of... Uh, uh, in terms today, we'd probably call it ionized gas. It ran shivers up and down our spines. We thought it was a Japanese secret device, probably developed by the Germans. And I might add that the fellows over in the European theater thought it was a German device, and the Germans thought it was a Allied secret weapon, and everybody thought it was somebody else's. No one knew what it was. Post-war conferences confirmed the mystery of the Foo Fighters they were no one's secret weapon. appeared in various shapes, sizes, and colors. Some have appeared fuzzy or blurred, while others have shone brighter than the stars. Still others were self-luminous or dull, reflecting, and even transparent at will. On a clear, warm summer night, just north of Los Angeles, in the small community of Simi Valley, California, police officer Melvin Stewart was casually patrolling in his cruiser. It was Saturday evening. 
August 13, 1977. The sun had just dipped below the horizon when Officer Stewart's attention was caught by a strange light in the still darkening sky. I was uh, on patrol uh, working as a uh, plain clothes unit, which is a non-marked car. And uh, about 9 o'clock, or around about that time, I observed a uh, what appeared to be an aircraft having problems uh, coming towards me. I was driving uh, eastbound on Los Angeles Avenue, and I observed what appeared to be an aircraft having problems uh, dropping fiery like molten metal or whatever from it and uh, the molten metal was dissipating you know the heat was dissipating before it hit the ground there was a lot of light coming from almost like an aircraft landing light I didn't see any uh, any marking lights on it but just just a, a bright light and then this orangey uh, flame and then it lost sight of it as if it crashed and uh, I put a broadcast out to the possible aircraft down in the area of the Simi Valley Airport uh, we checked the area and found nothing Nearly an hour later, two police cars were dispatched to investigate reports of an unusual object hovering less than 200 feet over the intersection of Los Angeles Avenue and Airedale Street. A short chase ensued to the freeway interchange, at which time other police officers arrived on the scene, including policewoman Linda Nesbitt. The UFO, once it reached the area of um, 118, which is a freeway, and 1st Street, it ascended and uh, it did so with great speed, more than you would uh, envision the norm, and it remained stationary for great periods of time, more uh, longer than I would ever envision a um, uh, helicopter or anything of that nature staying stationary. We were uh, using our red lights and our um, aircraft landing lights, which is a spotlight, and pointing them or directing them at the UFO and it was reacting to it audibly on occasion and uh, it did make a movement towards the lights as we turned the light off then it would return to its original position and remain stationary again but it was reactive to the lights which seemed unusual to me minutes later officer stewart arrived and confirmed that it was the same object he had seen earlier officer nesbeth remembers the sound the craft made as it moved overhead it wasn't a whoosh or anything like that it was um, I guess you would have to describe it as kind of a, a hum, beepy, like the conventional noises that you would associate with a craft in, in a movie. Really, it was. That's the kind of noise it was. But it was very distant. One of Phillips' most interesting cases occurred on June 28, 1973, outside Columbia, Missouri. Just after midnight, James Richards, an employee of the University of Missouri, and his 16-year-old daughter, Anne, were preparing for bed in their trailer home on an isolated country road. Richard's three-year-old son, Jamie, woke up and began to cry. The events that followed so frightened the Richards that Anne still refuses to discuss them. But James Richards remembers. My daughter was going to the icebox refrigerator to get some milk for the baby. And she notices two bright lights, like spotlights, and then they converge into one big round ball, illuminate the whole area with the trees uh, swaying and uh, well it almost blind me because I couldn't look directly because it's too bright like an eclipse that's why I took it to see so I look at, looked at it on, a, on an angle you might say something did snap in my mind though not to shoot because it's a rule anytime I heard anything outside at night 
the first thing I would do is get my flashlight and a gun. I don't care what it is. I'll go outside and start searching. But something clicked in my mind said, don't go outside. Don't go outside. And I just left the guns there on top of the, uh, the deep freeze and just looked out the window and just observed the best I, best I could. You have to sit yourself to really uh, have an idea of what I'm talking about. Because uh, nothing I know of turns its colors, all different colors, beautiful colors, and do a 90-degree angle without making a sound and hover there in space. And you sit there and look in awe, you know. Oh, I said, my, it's pretty. But yet and still, you was, you was frightened because you were dealing with something that you never seen before. You had no idea. You see, you didn't know what it was going to do any harm or what. Members of the Richards family weren't the only ones affected by the presence of the strange craft. I have a doghouse out there on that side. And them dogs scurry up under the building and stay till the whole event was over. They didn't bark at all. No, sir. With a feeling of relief, Richards watched as the light dimmed somewhat and began to ease away. But suddenly, it made a sharp turn and approached the trailer again. When it came back up the second time, I felt like death was at hand. I figured this was it. And as soon as it touched down, then the whole area just lit up. See, you was actually blind, you see, but you could hear the thrash and the walk around this particular tree. Just this one tree now. Then my daughter said, look at the tree, look at the tree, just pulling on the tree, pulling on the tree. And then the next thing you heard the tree snap, that limb snap. And I tried to call out, call for help. This time my lights went completely out and came back on. She couldn't call out. The telephone line was dead. You didn't hear a buzz tone or anything. Couldn't nobody call in, I couldn't call out. Just completely like your wires were cut until they left. In the course of his investigation of the Richards case, Ted Phillips spoke with the telephone operator who had traced the aborted emergency call. I talked to the operator contacted by the directory assistance operator and she had been trying for three minutes to call Richards but the line was indeed dead. Finally, suddenly, after she had tried five times, she broke through and he was on the line. Well, when the police arrived, it was a young officer by himself Richards told him what had happened, and he said the officer didn't seem to be too excited about going out into this darkened area. So they took a flashlight, they went over the fence, and sure enough, they found some imprints, which are uh, about five inches long, about three inches wide, and about two to two and a half inches into the ground. Now, I have to point out that the next day, a newspaper reporter was out there. He picked it up from the police blotter. And this reporter weighs about 350 pounds and he could barely make a heel mark in the ground. It was that dry, that hard. So we're talking about considerable weight. At the site then, I found uh, this series, this pattern of imprints down through there. The tree limb, which was twisted and pulled down, stripped down at a point 12 and a half feet above the ground. And several other broken limbs. Uh, we arrived there a week after the event and leaves were absolutely burnt, very badly burnt, down in the lower regions where the UFO had been. And leaves on the limb some 40, 45 feet up in the air above this area were starting to die. That big tree is completely dead today. Around 11 o'clock.
Bill went inside to watch the late movie on television. The TV Western was interrupted by an experience even stranger than fiction. I was watching this Western movie, and uh, the TV really messed up. And then it went out. So I was laying on the couch there, and I looked out the window of the shop to see if the nightlight was on, and it wasn't. So I thought maybe I might have blown a fuse in the shop. So I was going to just go out and check things out until uh, I went out the door and I felt quite a bit of electrical shock, a tingle. And uh, I looked up and uh, this is when I seen the, the huge object on above my house and over parts of the barn. I judged it to be at least 150 feet across it. It was um, saucer shaped with a high dome is very shiny under under underneath of as a porcelain type finish and i was getting a tremendous shock all over my whole body my hair was standing up and i had electrical static feeling over my hair on my arms and uh, my head and as it moved out over the field i could start seeing more portions of the top half which was dome shaped and concaves on the side of the dome sort of like a lemon squeezer and as it went out over the field very quietly, which is probably about 50 feet off the ground, I spotted two more in the distance on power lines. Apparently, to me, that looked like they were absorbing electricity of some way, because there was brilliant red lights with a purplish light in the center of it, a jerky sort of a light coming back. It looked like it was going back to the ship, like they were drawing energy from the power lines. I thought it was doomsday. I really did. I. I didn't know what to expect after seeing two more in the field across from my house. I, uh, I didn't know if it was an invasion or what. But what of other countries? UFOs have totally ignored international boundaries. Argentina, England, Canada, Africa, New Zealand, Germany, Russia, Portugal, Thailand, Norway, Denmark, Sweden, Mexico. Just after sunset on the evening of November 5th, 1975, a seven-man crew was piling into a four-wheel drive vehicle after finishing a day of woodcutting near the tiny northern Arizona community of Snowflake. One of the seven men was Travis Walton, whose curiosity that night plunged him into a living nightmare he would never forget. Just before leaving the work area, the men in the Jeep watched a glowing object emerge from behind the trees. Travis opened a door to get a better view and continued watching, stunned with his companions. The thing was about uh, 90 feet away, about 20 feet in diameter, about 8 feet high. It was, it was uh, glowing, uh, a golden color, kind of like, like molten metal. I couldn't hear anything at first. It, it must have been because when I got closer, I could, I could hear it. But uh, it was a high-pitched uh, intermittent sound and a low rumbling sound. It sounded like machinery or, you know, a heavy mechanical sound. Very difficult to describe. Travis got out of the vehicle and moved toward the object, despite cries from his friends for him to return. Walton assumed by the time he could get any closer, the object would be gone. Just as I got up close, it started to move with a sort of a rocking motion, kind of like a spinning uh, top, you know, like when it's slowing down to fall over, except it, it didn't wasn't spinning it. The same side stayed toward me. And uh, when it started to move, it started, it got real loud. And that, that really scared me. And I jumped down behind the log and uh, I, I looked up at this thing. 
and uh, I, I decided then I was in a lot of danger and I was going to get the, the heck out of there. And I raised up to go. It's the last thing I remember. I raised up and I started to turn, and uh, I was just about in a high crouch when, wham, I felt a numbing shock hit me. Um, it I, it kind of like in the head, and I went out. I was uh, knocked unconscious. His six co-workers, however, saw what Travis had not. A slender beam of intense light which shot from the craft and lifted Walton off his feet, knocking him to the ground. The rest of the crew sped away in panic, looking back to see the craft take off. But when they returned to see if Travis was all right, he was nowhere to be found. Meanwhile, the other members of the woodcutting crew had reported Walton missing. Local police organized a search party, but no trace of Walton was found. The next thing he remembered, Travis was lying on the side of a road outside Heber, Arizona, 12 miles from Snowflake. When I first regained consciousness, I was laying on the roadway, well, to the side of the road, more off than on. And uh, my head was on my arm, and uh, I saw a light, and I, I looked up in time to see it go off, which I think was either a light going off or a hatch closing, perhaps. Um, then I saw that this object hovering there, it was a uh, flattened uh, sphere. I mean, it was shaped like a disc, but it was very uh, shiny, chrome-like. I could see that reflecting the, everything around there, but not giving off any light. It was dark. And it was just it was just there for a second, hovering about four feet off the ground, and then it just shot straight up. It was incredible how quick, without making a sound. Travis staggered to a phone booth to call his family, who at first did not believe it was really him. But once convinced, they came to take him home. On the way, Travis received yet another shock. We were riding back in, and they said something about everybody being worried about me. I can't remember the exact conversation, but I said, well, you know, it must have been a bad couple of hours or something to reference to time or something like that. And they said, Travis, you've been gone for five days. While recuperating, Travis was able to remember most of what had happened to him a series of hypnotic regressions with Dr. James Harder from the University of California, however, enabled Walton to recall things with less anxiety and more detail. What you are about to hear is a rare edited portion of one of those hypnotic sessions in which Travis Walton offers a chilling recollection of his face-to-face -face encounter with his abductors. You can describe what he looks like to us and it will bother you. It's just like you were trying to describe something for someone who was going to draw something. He's ugly. You can describe what he looks like to us and it won't bother you. He looks so white. He looks soft. Rubbery. He looks... Chinese. Do you get a picture of what the eyes look like? He looks... Good look at the pupil. Can you tell me what the pupil looks like? Oh, 
Time is yet to be conquered by man, but when the time is right, perhaps the greatest revelation of all time will dawn upon us. Yes, my friend, this might very well be the year. This could be the day, the day that no earthly power, governmental or otherwise, will be able to keep the secret of the saucers from the human family on this, the third planet from the sun. Until then, keep looking up, search the heavens, be alert at all times, and remember, truth has a habit of marching on. I, I came down tonight coming from work and I, not this tonight and I went down the 118 right by the first street and so that really got me because I had listened to this before and it's just as empty as it was you know then that was At very right creepy there, yeah. especially to have something right in the same county yeah uh, I love the guy with his gun <laughs> that usually no matter what happens I go out with a flashlight and a gun oh, we all I do keep that. on wanting to say uh, he, he thinks he has a pretty mouth or something <laughs> well those are very good stories uh, but we have our own stories and uh, or at least we have other people's stories so James start us off well I, I got a buddy and uh, his name's John and uh, he was telling me that about 45 years ago um he and a friend were out driving at night on a lonely, you know, road uh, somewhere in the south on a dark, star-filled evening. Uh, they were laughing and, you know, talking, and and, and, and John's friend noticed a, a light in the sky. He pointed out, uh, he pointed out to him, and they continued to drive, but they slowed down a little bit, and 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 both uh, they look out and in the light, and it starts getting bigger. Then they realize it's actually getting closer, not bigger, just closer. And at first, uh, they think it's a plane, but it moves weird. So maybe it's a, a helicopter or something. Whatever it is, it's getting brighter and closer. That's that's what they decided. And then suddenly, uh, they were somewhere else. And that's all he could say to me. He said, they were somewhere else. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Somewhere else. And he said, I was literally somewhere else. It was still dark. And they were still driving, but they were not where they were before. And I said, "Well, did you get what, what you know what was going on?" He's like, "Yeah, you know, when you, <laughs> no, they weren't drinking. They they weren't drinking. They no drugs. He swore no drugs. It was forty five, so not even the marijuana would do that to him back then, you know. And so uh, no, but they were they were both very confused. He, he remembers it like it was yesterday. Um, and he, he said he kept on saying he's like I was just someplace else. So it kind of it, it, that unnerved me enough. And then, so anyways, he and his buddy were shaking now, but they started driving again, looking for something familiar. Uh, they chose one road after another. They're driving around, trying to figure out where they are. And uh, and finally, they come to a main road they recognized. And 
and they they were 30 miles away. He claims they were 30 <laughs> miles away from where they were cuz he I mean he drove the the road all the time so he knew where they were and he claims they were 30 miles away from that. And uh he looked at down his watch. He's 4 hours later than than when they started and he swears that they were only driving around for a half hour. This guy's breaking in a sweat when he's talking to me. Holy Still to cow. this day it's, it's it's crazy. And they had only, you know, like I said they had only been searching for about for about a half hour, this, this this is his story. So they drive home in silence. Neither one told anyone the next day. A few nights later, uh, my buddy starts beginning to have bad dreams. <clears throat> At first, he didn't remember them. He just felt uneasy when he woke up. But later, he had dreams he could recall, and and the details were as far. I mean, he he just was. Uh, it was like a man examining him, and. Uh, he claims that you know he would be in either two positions, sitting down or or prone, and uh, they were just he couldn't he couldn't see their faces, but he knew that they terrified him. It was just like well you know one of those dreams, but he just felt really weird about it, and uh, coupled with what had happened, I mean he, he even to this day I've, like again he was telling me and he was like man this is crazy, and I I kind of felt it. I mean he, he was giving me a snow job. It was a good snow job because that man. Was was visibly that's a good story because I haven't. That's like those ones they always talk about, but I that's the closest coming to anyone I you know know because all these people you see on TV you don't know who they are, but you know this guy. So yeah, and and he said that uh, he tried to talk to his buddy about it and he wouldn't talk about it, and it, it became like a, a you know a thing between them, and eventually they they weren't friends anymore because like the guy just couldn't handle it. And, and that's it, one of the not only that you know the guy, but it's a pretty intense story. That's like better than some movies. I've yes. Seen. So, uh, I mean, he like I said, he was even sorry that he told me afterwards. He said, "Man, you know, I shouldn't have told you this." <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I, I thought it was a pretty cool story, and he that's, got he had me. So I, I I I think it's true, <laughs> Greg. Believe it or not, what good story do you have for us? Well, I've got a story that my grandma told me. And you both know my grandma because you're, she's your mother. <laughs> yeah, she's my mother. But for the sake of our audience, I'll just say that my grandma Mary is very practical. And so it makes it all that more chilling, this story here. So comes from a friend of hers. Her son-in-law used to drive the ambulance in uh, the Mojave Desert. So one night they're, they're out doing their, their shift there. And they get the call in. So they flip on the lights and they, they're in hot pursuit and they're driving for some time. They're in the desert, and it's you know kind of secluded, much like uh, there in Simi Valley. And then all of a sudden, uh, my grandma's the son-in-law notices there's there's a bright light, and he's trying to figure out what it is. At first, he thinks maybe it's a planet or a star. You know, you kind of try to rationalize these things, and then he notices this bright object is not standing still, but it's it's passing them. So he points it out to his partner, and they're both having a discussion for a few minutes. Well, what is that? Like, like you know, they can't figure out what it is. And then, like that, this bright light just shoots straight up into the air fast. My grandma says, just fast, fast. And it's gone. And they, they were freaked out at that point. They, She said they drove in silence for a number of minutes. They didn't know what to think of it. And then they just went on and did their call and <laughs> have never spoken about it since. Very nice. That's a good one. That's very and good. Do you, you have another one from Grandma as well? <clears throat> I have a personal one about uh, the time I was abducted and there was some anal probing. Oh, <laughs> we're out of time, Frank. We don't have time for any more. All right. 
Well, I have a bunch of times where I almost saw a UFO. I've always wanted to see a UFO, and it always turns out to be nothing. But I had one experience that I couldn't explain. But to start off, I've been out at night, and I see the planet Venus, and it looks bright, and I'm going, oh, what is this? And oh, yeah, that's just a planet. It's not moving. It's not doing anything. You want to believe it's life. <laughs> and then Especially I saw... when you're a kid, you know. You... Then I've seen... One time, I saw these things, objects flying over, like several of them. They kept coming around and buzzing. I'm like, what the heck? They looked like they were sort of high, but like a low-flying plane. They looked very strange. And I looked close. They were sort of higher. You and were then they, no, they, they were. <laughs> and then I see their flapping wings, and I go, oh, it's ducks. And the city lights were reflecting off them. And it, oh. I swear, they looked like some crazy, you know, object. And um, then one time, Edward and I were out in the desert. We were leaving. Your buddy, Edward? Yeah. My friend Edward and I were leaving Death Valley. We'd gone up this place called Johnson Canyon Camping. We were all thrashed. We're driving through the desert. It's that way south that, that eventually takes you to Barstow. And it's across a desolate area. And it's a very flat road. And we're driving along, and suddenly we see this light hovering over the road in front of us. And we're getting closer and closer. Just get the camera. We got to get a picture. Get this camera. He's getting all nervous. Get it. Get it. And I'm like not doing anything. And I'm like, all right, I get his camera. And we come up. And right when we get to it, we go up. It was the only hill there. There's some road workers and a, t a temporary yeah. light thing. And then <laughs> we go off as they look at us. So that was nothing. But a few years later, we decided, we had a bright idea, hey, let's go take a vacation during winter in the middle of the desert, high desert in New Mexico. And there was snow everywhere and blizzards and things are closed. But we had a good time. But one point in a, um, I'm trying to remember, but I think it was between um, the Whitpocky Crater and as you're going up to um, Monument Valley, there's a very stretch of dark area. Well, it's not built up. I think it's the Hopi and uh, the other Indian reservations you're traveling through. And we're going along, and I'm, I look outside, and I see it looks like a group of lights. I can't tell the distance, and they're going perfectly together, like a perfect unison. And what it really looks like is if a blimp had lights tied around it. And so it, they all go at exactly the same thing, except that I could see through. I could see the stars behind it. Mm -hmm. And as I'm looking at it, Edward suddenly goes, do you see that out there? And I go, yeah, let's pull over. So we pull over, jump out, and we're looking. And there, this group of lights or an invisible blimp with lights on it or whatever the heck it was uh, starts turning and then just goes slowly <laughs> Away and then disappears in the distance, and we're like, "It's just in the sky, right?" Yeah, no what the heck was that? No, yeah, it was definitely in the sky. I, I don't, I don't know what the heck it was. I, I, if it was a group of uh, some kind of aircraft or military or something, but everything was in really perfect unison and seemed very slow. So that's my one <laughs> UFO thing. Um, and there you have it. Those are our stories. They're not proof. Just food for thought, but it might inspire you uh, on Starlit Night to look up and watch the skies, maybe for an invasion. So the moral <laughs> is don't leave your house without your gun and your flashlight. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>
together. Together, together, together. Let us explore the stars. Let us explore the stars. Together, 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 together. Conquer the desert. Conquer the desert. Eradicate disease. Ocean depth. Happy ocean depth. Together. 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 Let us explore the stars. Let us explore the stars. All this will not be finished. All this will not be finished. In the first In 100 the days. Nor will it be finished. Nor will it be finished. In the first 1,000 days. days. Nor in the life. Nor in the life. Of this administration. Of this administration. Nor even perhaps in our lifetime. Or even on this planet, but let us begin. Together, let us explore the stars. Conquer the desert. Eradicate disease. Tap the ocean depth. day the saucers came. That day the saucers landed, hundreds of them, golden, silent, coming down from the sky like great snowflakes, and the people of earth stood and stared as they descended, waiting dry-mouthed to find what waited inside for us, and none of us knowing if we would be here tomorrow. But you didn't notice it, because that day, the day the saucers came, by some coincidence was the day that the graves gave up their dead, and the zombies pushed up through soft earth, or erupted, shambling and dull-eyed, unstoppable, came towards us, the living, and we screamed and ran. But you did not notice this, because on the saucer day, which was the zombie day, it was Ragnarok also, and the television screens showed us a ship built of dead men's nails, a serpent, a wolf, all bigger than the mind could hold, and the cameraman could not get far enough away, and then the gods came out. But you did not see them coming, because 
On the saucer zombie battle in God's day, the floodgates broke, and each of us was engulfed by genies and sprites offering us wishes and wonders and eternities and charm and cleverness and true brave hearts and pots of gold, while giants fee-fo-fummed across the land and killer bees. But you had no idea of any of this, because... That day... The saucer day, the zombie day, the Ragnarok and fairies day, the day the great winds came and snows and the cities turned to crystal, the day all plants died, plastics dissolved, the day the computers turned, the screens telling us we would obey, the day angels drunk and muddled, stumbled from the bars and all the bells of London were sounded, the day animals spoke to us in Assyrian, the Yeti day, the fluttering capes and arrival of the time machine day. You didn't notice any of this, because you were sitting in your room. Not doing anything, not even reading, not really, just looking at your telephone, wondering if I was going to call. Uh, we had Abraham Lincoln's birthday this month, we mentioned that, so we thought we'd talk about our favorite Lincoln, Robot Lincoln. We've known and loved him our whole lives, basically, and now it's time to pay him homage. Just like the real Lincoln, who had to share his day with George Washington, Robot Lincoln has had to share his show from time to time with a rival, and that's namely Walt Disney. Uh, but it wasn't always like this. Back in 1964 at the New York World's Fair, Robot Lincoln was the undisputed king. Nobody had seen anything like him. He was the cutting edge of Walt Disney's audio, audio animatronic wizardry. Every detail was attended to. His face, he, he was sculpted by a guy named Blaine Gibson. He used a life mask from Lincoln when he was alive. Not the death mask, but... Where they put, you know, alginate. I don't know what they used back then, actually, but something to capture his face. <laughs> Carcinogens is what they yeah, used. Well, that's always what works best. He, that Blaine guy who did the sculpture, he was an animator at Disney. He worked uh, as the director of Fantasia, by the way, and oh. from anywhere from there to 101 Dalmatians. In 1955, Disney noticed he's a sculptor, too. He did do it at home as art projects. Just for fun, yeah. He had him. Uh, start working part-time as the animator, part-time working on the Disneyland stuff. And then by 1961, he was just full-time. He was out of the animation. And he did stuff for the Pirates, all the Hall of Presidents to George W. Bush all the way through. Oh, wow. And Haunted Mansion. And then he did the sculpture, you know, of uh, Mickey and, and Walt. Oh, yeah. The yeah, the, the, yeah. 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 Well, that he did that. So he's, he's a big wig in that. Um for the voice, they use Royal Dano, and he's the guy. Do you remember? Well, I don't know if you saw Moby Dick, but the the Elijah, the one that goes when you smell land and there is none, he's predicting the death of everybody. And then this one you might have seen is something wicked way this way comes. He was the lightning bolt, uh, lightning rod oh, yeah. salesman. Lightning rod salesman, yeah. That guy, he did oh. the voice, and um, the speech. It was a combination of several speeches. They were actually given by um, President Lincoln, but they were compiled by a guy named James Allegar. And he's um, oh, he's the guy that directed Fantasia. The other oh. guy worked on it as an animator. He's Got the it. director. Yeah. And he directed all those live-action Disney things, including the, the Living Desert. They were all the nature. Oh, films. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was in charge of, of directing kind of that show. And he put the speech together. So they had the best working on Robot Lincoln back in 1965, or that was 64. In 65, they made a duplicate, and uh, 
they brought it to Disneyland. It was great moments with Mr. Lincoln, and it was sponsored by Lincoln Savings. Wait a minute. <laughs> so, Wait a minute. It's a duplicate? Where is the original? The original, they lost. They didn't know where it was. And then finally, I'm not sure. Within the last decade, they found it in a crate because it had been shipped back to L.A. and just stuck somewhere. Oh, wow. So there was an exhibit. Oh, man. It's in that crate where the, where the you know. <laughs> where Indiana Jones. The Ark of the Covenant <laughs> yeah. is. No, they, they brought it out, and it was a traveling exhibit. And they I missed this, but they had an exhibit with all the Disney stuff from Disneyland, and they had it with all the clothes off and everything so you could see the mechanics wow. and stuff in it. And that was the one from the World's Fair. But they used the, the same voice, the same same everything, technology. So um, it stayed that way the entire show with talking about Lincoln and before the show until 1973, and then the betrayal came. Because in that year, the attraction was replaced by who? By Walt Disney's story. And it was exhibits from Walt Disney's life and from Disneyland and from all his exploits and, and they still have that stuff in there they have his office i don't and... know link uh lately because i haven't been in but then they covered a screen and covered up lincoln and just kind of had him sitting back there and they had a movie about walt disney's life so but robot lincoln wasn't down for long and he fought his way back because in 1975 they he was able to share with Walt Disney and they had it was the Walt Disney story featuring great moments with Mr. Lincoln and that's where they still have all the the owl from I forget which cartoon it is but it was a mechanical owl that talked to you and the different exhibits from Walt but then when you went inside they had the old um Mr. Lincoln show but in 1984 they kind of spruced it up again they revised it another time they improved uh Robot Lincoln, they um, they made it so he could hold a piece of paper <laughs> in his hand. Nice. And I think he consulted it once in a while. Uh, there was still a lot of the Disney exhibits in the pre-show, um, but um, the movie was replaced, the biography of, of Walt Disney, with that film about two brothers, remember? Oh, yeah. They said, one more blue and one more gray, you know, and they kill each other. But um, at, I love that story. <laughs> the speech was the same, but they edited a little for some reason. I don't know, they cut stuff, but they still use Royal Dano's uh, version. But um, in 2001, they had another drastic version. That's the one you were talking about earlier, where they have the haircut. Where they you actually put headphones on. Yeah, and it's like it's called the Kunskoff binaural sound, and it was invented in the twenties by the Kunskoff dude. That that we don't we didn't play it in that. I don't I don't know actually. I've never listened with headphones to our podcast, but the Bleeding Man is in Kunskoff binaural. Wow. Um, not that we played that. earlier. Anyway, uh, you become John Cunnington. A Union soldier, and you get your hair cut, and you can hear. Remember, yeah, it, it yeah. sounds. It does sound. I mean, it was good. It was just weird for that thing, but it was good. It was. It was a great. It was sort of strange. What, what I was disappointed about um, was that he Lincoln, when he finally gets talking, um, does the Gettysburg Address, which everyone loves, but I love the phony <laughs> Lincoln speech better. <laughs> it's. It has a lot. It's a lot of things that he said, and I think it's. The Gettysburg Address is sort of a rah-rah speech, and the other one is more like, oh, it's very profound to me. Anyway. Yeah. But um, 
anyway, it's still it was still a good version. They still use the 1984 Lincoln. They didn't improve him at all. I think they put glasses on him. I think that was that was it. Um, and the guy who did the voice is a guy named Warren Burton. He's the new voice who did the Gettysburg Address. Uh, I approve of that because he was in Humanoids of the Deep. <laughs> and he was in Freddy's Nightmares. He, oh. played, he did a lot of soap opera work. He seems like a natural choice. He does. And he was also, but he was in Gettysburg. And that's why I think they chose him. Uh, oh, he, I wonder which one. I, I'm trying. Oh, to, as Lincoln? No, not as Because I don't think Lincoln did. No, no. It was just the voice. But they probably heard yeah. that and they go, oh. He can do, you know, yeah. historical voices, not just uh, some crazy, not just Freddy's, not just humanized. <laughs> in and now in two thousand nine, a brand new show was created, and uh, what they really done is going back to the old show. That's what I like. But um, a person I know named Carol Koch, a great sculptor, she did the face, the new face uh, sculpture, and they have all new technology. It's now. They say electrical. Now, I don't know if that's servos. Because before, yeah, it, it was probably. the oil through the tubes, you know, yeah. hydraulic, which moved everything. So I'm not sure what they mean by It's got to be servos because that's how most robots yeah. work. You know? But Royal Dano, uh, his speech is back just like the beginning. And they have one more blue and one more gray. It's back again. I don't know. They're playing uh, it. So, by popular demand. By popular demand. So With now. The five people that go and the, see lo- it every the time. lobby, there's still a lot of good stuff to see. In oh, that's right. They yeah. brought back like the Capitol building. And uh, I don't know if they still have. Because I. They don't have his. Uh, Disney's office anymore. See, no. I haven't seen it. Tomorrow I'm supposed to go the, over the, there. So the I'll bench tell you. that he used to sit in Disneyland. I and, like, they had his full office and everything. They yeah. shouldn't have fought. They should have had two shows. It was very bitter because I like Walt and, and Robot Lincoln, but they shouldn't be put together. That's yeah. That's what I say. It now it what got me worried, and I'm glad I'm going tomorrow. Is it's a 60 year celebration this year? They might just uh, put Lincoln in sawdust for a little Can't bit and have a good. Walt Disney story again, yeah. which they probably should. But uh, so um, all this stuff has just been leading up because we have the original Robot Lincoln speech um, from the World's Fair, and as Paul Fries used to say at the beginning of the show, and now the skills of the sculptor and the talents of the artist will let us relive great moments with Mr. Lincoln. The world has never had a a good definition of the word liberty. The American people just now are, are much in want of one. We all declare for liberty. But in using the same word, we do not all mean the same thing. What constitutes the bulwark of our liberty and independence? It is not our frowning battlements, our bristling sea coasts. These are not our reliance against tyranny. Our reliance is in the love of liberty, which God has planted in our bosom. Our defense is in the preservation of the spirit which prizes liberty as the heritage of all men, in all lands, everywhere. Destroy this spirit 
and you have planted the seeds of despotism around your own doors. At what point shall we expect the approach of danger? By what means shall we fortify against it? Shall we expect some transatlantic military giant to step the ocean and crush us at a blow? Never. All the armies of Europe, Asia, and Africa combined could not by force take a drink from the Ohio or make a track on the Blue Ridge in a trial of a thousand years. At what point then is the approach of danger to be expected? I answer that if it ever reaches, it must spring from amongst us. It cannot come from abroad. If destruction be our lot, we ourselves must be the authors and finishers. As a nation of free men, we must live through all time or die by suicide. Neither let us be slandered from our duty by false accusations against us, or frightened from it by menaces of destruction to the government, nor of dungeons to ourselves. Let us have faith that right makes right. And in that faith, let us to the end dare to do our duty as we understand it. After all, life's really funny that way. Sang the wrong melody, we'll play it back. See what it sounds like, hey, hey. They cut out eight bars, the dirty bastard. And I didn't know which eight bars he was gonna cut. Why don't somebody tell me these things around here? Holy Christ, I'm going off my nuts. And now, pretentious readings from Scholastic Books. Back in the late 60s when I first heard the title of this book, I was intrigued. But when the cover was revealed to me, an obsession was kindled. The cover showed a ramshackled homemade robot, somehow sinister in its almost fluorescent color, glowing in an otherwise dark and ominous night, while two children looked on in horror, or at least that's how I saw it. And so I was sucked into the mystery of Shadow Pond. 
Margie heard the clock in the downstairs hall strike twelve before the dim, dreamy feeling of sleep really overtook her. With a tired sense of relief, she gave herself up to it, and the day's worries drifted away. Suddenly, a loud metallic buzzing noise shrilled through the midnight silence. Margie's sleep was so deep, she only buried her head deeper in her pillow and tried to push the disturbing racket away from her ears. A hoarse shout startled her wide awake, and she sat up all a tremble. Neil, Daddy was bellowing. Are you fooling with that confounded robot? Shut it off. For heaven's sake, shut it off. Neil's alarmed voice came from the hall. I'm up here, Daddy. I didn't touch it. There must be somebody down in Grandpa's room. The weird buzzing sound continued to fill the house. Daddy leaped out of bed and catapulted down the stairs, with Neil right at his heels. Mama followed as far as the head of the stairs, turned on the lights, and peered anxiously after them. Margie stood beside her, still shivering from the suddenness of her awaking. In a moment, the buzzing noise ceased, and Daddy and Neil appeared at the foot of the stairs. Mama and Margie hurried down to join them. It must have been an accident, Daddy grumbled, rubbing his hip that had bumped against something in the darkness. That contraption of Neil's got starred up somehow. It never should have been left in there. But it couldn't have gone off by accident, Neil protested. I had those wires fixed, so you had to open a window or a door to make the connection that would set them off. Well, the door was closed and so were the windows when I got there, Daddy said. But that infernal machine was still buzzing anyway. Why don't you get your slippers on and go outside and look around, Mama suggested. You're too excited to sleep, all of you, and the night air might cool you off. Daddy didn't think there was much sense in poking around the yard after midnight, but Neil and Margie were so eager to try it that he agreed. It's silly to think anybody would try to break into Grandpa's room now, he said. The letters have already been stolen, and there isn't another blessed thing of any value in there. They walked up the driveway, flashing their lights around the shrubbery and trees, and pausing now and then to listen for footsteps. Margie stayed with them at first, because the darkness was frightening, even though, like Daddy, she thought the buzzer had gone off by accident. But as her eyes became used to the dimness and her fear subsided, she wandered off by herself across the wide front lawn, enjoying the cool freshness of the outdoors after the stuffy heat of her room. She stood beside Mama's old-fashioned white rose bush and looked up at the stars, big and glittering in the black sky. How beautiful they were. On the still night air, the little rustling murmurs of insects and leaves were pleasant to her ears. It was fun to be outdoors in the middle of the night like this. A faint sound of something moving across the grass suddenly made her catch her breath. On the other side of the rose bush, somebody was hurrying along quietly and stealthily. Whoever it was stopped for a moment, and Margie was aware of a new sound, the loud panting breaths of a person who had been running very fast. He was so near, she could have reached an arm through the rose bush and touched him.
Well, gentlemen, it's February, and like we said in the beginning, Valentine's Day. So we're going to have a neat little roundtable about some of our childhood crushes growing up. So I know Some of them were crushed later. Maybe for you, you crazy <laughs> man. I know we said we wouldn't do any honorable mentions, but I, I just have to throw this one out there just so our audience can have a feel. It's M- Milton Burrow in drag uh, as, <laughs> as uh, Aunt... Aunt uh, Myrtle, so uh, that that Very really good. got me. So Everyone's honorable in mention. Love with that. So I'll just yeah. cut right into my All right. first what's, what's one of first crush. Long lost loves. And I think this is probably in order of when they when these beautiful vixens came into my life. So the first one came from a show I watch religiously, uh, Ginger Grant off Gilligan's Island. <laughs> well, of course, yes. Boy, she can really bring home the bacon and fry it in the pan. Is what I thought as a young man. So apparently, after doing a little research, the part was originally turned down by Jane Mansfield. It was kind of a Marilyn Monroe type oh. character. And then uh, the lovely Tina Louise came and picked it up. And uh, like in the show, I'm sure our audience was loyal viewers, but there are some great things like she could be bribed easily by the millionaire on the show, Thurston Hell Third, <laughs> and she'd pose as a spy to go get some information from Gilligan. And her secret agent code name was thirty six twenty five thirty six, which is <laughs> also her measurements. <laughs> those wow, shows, a, not, a not so subtle. <laughs> those shows are so bad, like, so crazy. You get, well, you get away with anything. What am I talking about? I think they're only scandalous because it's so long ago. And we think, oh, they can't be thinking those ways. Then. Definitely, absolutely. Well, that's a good choice. Well, when I found out what. It, <laughs> Finally, when I was older, when, are you just happy to see me, or is there a gun, is there a gun in your pocket? Or are you just happy to see me? I went one very, day. I smacked very, my hand. I'm like, oh my god! Yes. Well, that you know, uh, coincidentally, one of my childhood crushes was Jane Mansfield. I think that's for very obvious reasons: her beautiful eyes, and Jane. You know, she was very funny. She had a great figure, of course, and. Um, Unfortunately, she died in an automobile crash where she went under a truck and her head got smashed. So my crush was crushed. <laughs> oh, man. It was uh, very sad. There was a lot of rumors that she was decapitated, but uh, she never really was. How old was she? She was almost 40. Her career was coming to an end, sort of. I mean, she had a couple high points and a, and a bunch of low points. They never really took her seriously, even though I thought she's pretty darn funny and all the crazy things she did. But, um, you know, I, I don't know why they used to make all these comments about, oh, she's not serious. Well, of course she's not serious. It's just burlesque, basically. Yeah. But anyway, that was one of my crushes. James? Uh, uh, going along with that, I mean, I thought... Uh, uh, Brittany Murphy. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, I feel I feel ashamed to say this, but uh, in high school, Clueless came out, <laughs> and I like my Brittany Murphy a little chunkier than, <laughs> than, than the brunette, yeah. and a little bit more with an attitude, a little <laughs> curvy, is what we say. Yeah. on this podcast. Well, that's my that's my typical <laughs> build, anyway. So, no, uh, yeah, I thought she was. Uh, me and, and especially, it's kind of funny because I, I met a guy uh, later on in junior college, and he was obsessed with her, but only in that role. <laughs> not an older, not no. thin, not thin o- and blonde. O- only, only in that role. In, uh, you know, she's in a lot of other stuff, but she's real spunky in that. And that, 
that's that's a you know a good role for. Her. But but I will say this: that speaking of thin blonde, uh, Brittany Murphy, she can play one hell of a hot mess. Yes, she can. <laughs> one of the best people ever to be. And I, she's got eight miles. She's got the other one. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. hot well, mess is is her thing. <laughs> and what's the other one? The uh, dark city, sin city. Yes. Oh, sin city. Yeah. City. Oh no, man. She and plays it, hot it, mess like nobody's business. If I'm not mistaken, she came to a tragic end also. She did. Unfortunately, she did. everybody thought that she was she had died of uh, of a eating disorder, but it was actually mold. And that, yeah. that's that's and it killed her husband or, or yeah, whatever. Another or husband. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And they and they didn't know and it, it killed him too. After him, then they went through the walls. I, I don't know if they just decided to or the next owner opened them up. But all right, well, very good. You get more points for the dead. Now, did do you any ghost stories? Because you get triple points if she haunts somebody. No, no. Only, she right. only haunts James's dreams. Oh, I forgot uh, to mention one thing because this is honorable mention, not honorable mention, but this gives Buku points because she was a voice on. Uh, King of the Hill as well. Ah, great. Oh, that's good. Greg, what's your next one? Well, I'm embarrassed that all my crushes were alive. And so <laughs> um, some of these are, are pretty obvious. So my next crush is uh, Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari when they were in drag and Boom Some Buddies. No, just kidding. Uh, in, the, in the 60s, I was a huge Batman, or uh, not in the 60s, but the, the 1960s Adam West Batman show. I was a huge fan. I also watched that show religiously. And... Every time the show would come on, I would wait for the special introduction when when Batgirl would come on. So my next <laughs> yes, cr- crush is Batgirl. Nice. Uh, she was brought in season three, and she was played by Yvonne Craig. Um, I'm always confused. Is that the same one that was in the black bikini in in uh, Mad Mad World? Or I is think that a so, different I think she one? was in Mad Mad. She World. had the very deadpan face, and yeah, yeah, she was also in My Three Sons uh, episodes of The Man from Uncle, The Wild Wild West. And she was a, a green alien in Star Trek, <laughs> and uh, oh. and I also learned that the the modern day um, what we have come to know as uh, Batgirl came from that show. Actually, there was Batgirl before in the comic books, but the the show needed something to kind of boost the audience, get some female viewers, and uh, it helped male viewers because I watched too. <laughs> but uh, so every uh, Batgirl was never Barbara Gordon until that show, and so now oh. we know it. Is. And she. Yvonne Craig identified so much with the role that she even got upset in the uh, the the Batman killing of Joker. It's a it's a great comic book, but Barbara Gordon gets paralyzed in that, and she was really upset about it. It's like <laughs> it's bitter. Come on, lady. But uh, oh well, she 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 sort of created yeah, that character. Yeah, yeah. That was hers. Well, they keep redoing Batman so many times. I'm sure that's past that now, and she's probably watching. I'm sure she's moved on. Bitter. She's got that great. Uh, tight suit, and uh, my dream is to get my wife in that one of these days. Oh my! She's turned down the Princess Leia slave outfit, so maybe okay. out there's a chance for me. All right, uh, another Did one. Did I of say my... that out loud? <laughs> Go ahead, Frank. Another one of mine is uh, the classic Grace Kelly, and I first set, got a crush on Good her one, yes. in Rear Window because oh. she, because she went after the di- the crazy. Uh, um, Oh, Iron Killer. <laughs> What's who's the guy who played that part? Jimmy Stewart. No, but oh, I mean the, the killer. The killer. Oh, oh there it, goes but... my brain. <laughs> the what, guy from Godzilla. He was in Godzilla. Raymond Burr. There we go. There you go. Anyway, that was great. Always, always uh, had a crush on her. All the cold blondes, and uh, I get a few extra points too because she died in an automobile crash in Monaco, and her. I get triple points because her daughter claims that her, her her mother's ghost haunts her and has helped her in her film career. 
So there you go, the oh. ghost of Grace Kelly doing good even today. James, <laughs> what's your next one? All right, uh, I still have to go with people of my own age, man. You guys are... You, this and, is my that, old age. Well, that's your age, but... Uh, not really, but... To get off the cougar theme, I, I'm going to go back to <laughs> someone that's it's almost my age. Selena. <laughs> okay. Oh. Very tragic and uh, yeah. very talented person. All right, so she was considered the uh, Latin pop star of the 90s. She got voted Latin pop star of the 90s. I'd say beyond that. She really. was, uh, it's kind of sad, too, because she, she was just about to cross over. Most people who, are, who do not know do not know that she is born in America. So, well, I knew that. No, 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 but I think some people don't because she had a, lot, a big Spanish music career. She was the queen of Tejana music, they call it. Yeah. And, uh, and and uh, she was one hot Latin number, as they say in, oh. <laughs> in, in, in uh, Dead Alive. In Dead Alive, and uh, yeah, and and uh, unfortunately, she came to an end uh, very tragically. In uh, her fan club director shot yeah. her. She, yeah, that she was, was crazy. Kind of a weird fan, and uh, you know they and had been they stealing know, from the fun. Had been stealing, but that's right. She'd been stealing from her, and and uh, anyways. Have you seen uh, the behind the music on that? It's really, really good. Oh, I haven't. Yeah, and then to see it. and then you watch it, and and that lady tries to present herself as not crazy, and you're like, she's crazier than I thought. <laughs> they, they they had she's still alive. Oh, they from, no, she that, from the, jail or what? She's interviewed in jail. The father is interviewed. It's, oh wow, it's, it's killer. It's great. Wow, I've never seen it. I was just, of course, I'm. Shame to say, I just saw the movie. And I'm dri- oh. deriving all my knowledge. <laughs> that was my next from question. That. How do you feel about a? Uh, Puerto Rican playing your beloved Mexican Selena is that? Oh you have man, bad who about cares? That? Equal opportunity, I don't care. <laughs> Greg, what's there was your a huge uproar? What's your next one? Your next and last one. Well, my final crush. So the first two, I I would have probably watched these shows without anyway. my crush, but this show I watch exclusively to see my crush. And because of her, it's Diane Parkinson, one of Barker's beauties on The Price is Right. <laughs> you might say it's a... I don't know her de- exactly. How'd you know her name? She's the most was... famous one. Well, you, oh. think, yeah. you might say, how... growing up, I had a little bit of Parkinson's disease. <laughs> oh. uh, so she was... Uh, there was a little controversy because she was kind of... She left the show, as Bob Barker said, to pursue other things. But really, she didn't get along with the other... Barker Beauty, uh, Janice Pennington, and also there were there was a lot of uh, news in the tabloids about her and Bob Barker having uh, some type of affair or something like that. So she left. Kind of uh, there was there was a little bit of madness there, but uh, she's the second longest Barker's Beauty uh, with an eighteen year tenure. Oh my gosh! Uh, second only to Janice Pennington, who was twenty eight years. So criminy. Yep. How can you stand smiling inanely for that many years? That's I don't know. I, I don't think, know, but I think uh, Vanna White is still going, right? Yeah. But is. every showcase showdown, I was hoping for a hot tub or a boat, or <laughs> and they worked it in. It was great. Very, very good. I can't, I can't say anything against that. Uh, my last one um, is, uh, and I first fell in love with her in the Great Race, and that's Natalie Wood. All right. Uh, she was a kid star, teen star, adult star. Yeah, well, uh, not an adult star. <laughs> she was a, a star when she was an adult. Wait till I bring out those lost tapes. I'm gonna make a million. Um, she and she was. I mean, she was. Um, I would say even over Grace Kelly, who I thought was a great actress, but she. I think Natalie Wood, out of my three, is the better actress of all of them. She was able to pull it off. She. She's sort of like the. 
female version of the time of all those method actors coming in, um, including all the leading man she played with. She always, she always annoyingly though played the, uh, you know, distressed, going crazy youth, and um, but then then she did everything, comedies and that. Unfortunately, of course, everyone knows she drove uh, drowned off of Avalon Bay in Catalina. Uh, mysteriously, they there's all sorts of things. Nobody knows exactly what happened. There's uh, different accounts, but they found her body. That's the one thing that everyone knows. 8 a.m. the next day, and she had already died. And I get more points for this because a guy who owns her boat now claims that Natalie Wood is haunting his boat. And uh, several times he's been hurt for no apparent reason, <laughs> mysteriously, on his boat. So I don't know if he thinks smacking his head counts as a haunting <laughs> or hitting his thumb with a hammer. But uh, I, I... It's the drunk Wapper, Rag, I, Wagner wandering back on. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I believe uh, in the ghost of Natalie Wood is haunting that ship, so... And I'm sticking to it. James, what's your last one? All right, my last one is, is a blast from the 80s. Uh, and that's Rebecca Schaefer from My Sister Sam. Oh. Uh, that I can remember she was uh, uh, having a crush. I was I was really young. I was, and uh, I thought she was really pretty. And, uh, you know, it was back in the days when I, I just wanted to hold hands with somebody. Or <laughs> and then, uh, so it was beautiful. And, uh, it came to a tragic end as well. A, 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 a crazy fan, a crazy fan, uh, knocked on her door and shot her point blank. Uh, and and he said in the in the trial that he had to teach her a lesson because she was in a movie, made for television movie and she was in bed with another man. Oh man! Wow! It's very dangerous being a celebrity. Well, those are some beautiful ghosts you guys have presented to us. Yes. Uh, they're haunting uh, our dreams, if nothing else. <laughs> oh, man. So very good. That's uh, that's our little Valentine's presentation. And uh, and very morbid. <laughs> <laughs> well, Happy Valentine's how, Day. How we do it here. Happy Valentine's Day. Well, listeners, have a great Valentine's Day. And by the time of course, this, they already did. <laughs> by the time this hits the airways, there'll be uh, a lot of our listeners will have uh, girlfriends and wives that will be very, disappointed yet dis- another year. So. <laughs> It must be something psychological It may be something very physical That makes me feel the way I do Whenever I'm in touch with you I think it's something strange and mystical It might be something very chemical What is this force between us two That makes me gravitate to you? I know you're not my ego ideal You're unlike my father or brother But the way I feel does not become A sister, a pal, or a mother Still it must be something psychological It may be something very physical That makes me feel the way I do Whenever I'm in touch with you It's something psychological
ego ideal, you're unlike my father or brother. But the way I feel does not become a sister, a pal, or a mother. My yearning's really quite explainable. I want you cause you're unattainable. Just let me get my hands on you, and then I want somebody new. With me it's psychological. Well, guys, I think that's about all the time we have. Pretty good podcast. I think uh, we gave everyone their money's worth at least. (laughs) Any parting words, James? (laughs) I don't know if I have any parting words, but uh, happy Valentine's Day, and uh, check us out next time. And President's Day. And uh, at the top of the show, we mentioned that uh, Pluto was discovered this month, and it just so happens that the discoverer, Clyde uh, Tombaugh's, I'm probably pronouncing it differently, but uh, his birth is also this month. So we're going to play a little love song to his uh, demoted heavenly body as we go out. So goodbye, everybody. See you next time. See you next time. This is Jimmy Sweets. This is Greg. And this is Uncle Frank. Peace out.